All right, on this episode of the podcast, we have a special guest, Andrew Napoli. He's an attorney specializing in, actually, he's going to tell us about that. Um, so I'll just, you know, kick it off with Andrew explaining to us maybe where he works and like what he gets into on a day to day, just so you can kind of understand uh, what type of law you get your hands dirty with. Well, thanks for having me here, fellas. Uh, I work for a pretty small law firm in Media PA. Uh, we do a lot of copyright music law, um, some pretty interesting cases, uh, one of them being against Led Zeppelin for uh, the song Stairway to Heaven. We represent the plaintiff in that case. Um, I'm also in a few other interesting cases. Uh, and uh, so I'd say it's Yeah, we're like going to we're going to have to navigate around uh, some of these cases. It sounds, yeah. sounds like we're going to have to avoid using names or, you know, certain anecdotes are going to have to be edited out, um, you know, to keep keep your job safe and keep your, <laughs> keep your clients uh, protected. But it's definitely exciting to have you on here. Uh, John was telling me a little bit about what you do. Um, earlier today and over the, like the last week of getting you in here, I'm definitely interested to hear about the whole Led Zeppelin thing. Yeah. So and how much of that can you talk about? Is it, is I mean, it closed? I mean, no, it's, it's all in the public. Uh, the ninth circuit just came out with an opinion that pretty much, uh, rewrites the copyright law as it stands. And it was a very, very bad decision for plaintiffs in copyright law, which is what we represent mainly right so uh so your client for like the whole led zeppelin thing has a claim against led zeppelin in what yes. way yes so um brandy california was the guitar player and songwriter for the band spirit and he uh had a song called taurus that sounds the intro of the song sounds very similar to stairway to heaven uh, in fact some would say it's basically identical the intro um, it's that close. When yeah. you say similar, you're almost being kind. It's it sounds the same. As a musician, uh, I could tell you that it sounds very similar. Um, but we don't need to get into the that right now. But for the purposes of this, um, it's a song that sounds very similar to the intro. And we know that Led Zeppelin actually toured with Spirit, the band, in the early '60s before they got big. They actually opened up for Spirit and. Um, mm. Yeah, interesting. And, and there are interviews of Robert Plant saying that he was very influenced by Spirit, um, and he owned their records, and he was th they were his favorite American band. There's interviews of him saying that. Um, so, basically, long story short, you know, Stairway to Heaven comes out, sounds the same, and our client goes up to him and says, "Yo, what's what's going on? <laughs> like, what happened?" He's like, "You know, it is what it is. Come at us with attorneys, and we'll have all the money. You know, Led Zeppelin has all the money. They have all the power. They have all the big publishers behind them. So it's basically like a David versus Goliath battle in court versus these people. And uh, we represent the little guy who's just trying to get what's due. What in situations like that, like we don't talk about that specific one, your client obviously doesn't have like the financial means that their opponent does or whoever they have a, a complaint against. What strategies can you, as like their representation, like obviously, like Stairway to Heaven came out so many years ago, so obviously this has been going on for a really long time. Well, yeah. Well, what's interesting is that it actually the suits are just coming out now because the law, the statute of limitations law, changed. It used to be you had, I think it was three years after the song was first released that you had to sue, and that's the way it was for decades. But recently, I think it was two thousand. 
2016 or 2017 uh, Supreme Court decision came out, which basically changed the law so that you could sue anytime the song is replayed on the radio, or republished, it's called. So anytime the song is played, you can sue for that infringement specifically. So he, so, so you could get sued thousands of times. Well, for one, you, you would get sued once for all the infringements at once. You know, oh, okay. so even though you know our, the estate of Rob Randy California can't recover for everything that ever happened, all he mm. really, all the estate wants is for his name to be listed as a as a songwriter for the song. A partial songwriter. So he's not even in. He doesn't. He doesn't necessarily even want the money. He didn't want. He was very poor. He died a poor man. But what he wanted more than anything was just credit for it. That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted to fight for. So who, who like since he's since passed, who do you interact with from his team or family or? Uh, Yes. So the producer of uh, the band Spirit, um, we call him. His last name is Skidmore. Um, blanking on his first name right now. I met him once, and he's a really he's a nice guy. I sat next to him during the oral arguments, and uh, he represents the entire Randy California estate. He oversees it. He was his best friend, um, and so yeah, he's who's fighting for Randy did, California. Did the, did the lawsuit come up while that guy was alive, or did they did this best friend try to just honor his? It was the best friend. Yeah, try to honor his friend after. Yep, it was done. Yeah, he, was, he wasn't allowed to sue while he was alive because it, the statute of limitations law at the time. Oh, you can't do it while you're alive. You have to wait until you die? Well, Up until 2016 or 2017 mm-hmm. when yeah. that statute changed. Oh, right, because mm-hmm. in the beginning, they didn't think they had a case. Because Stairway to Heaven's been I out for... I don't know what happened when the, first, when the song was first released. I don't know why the lawsuit didn't take place then. I don't. Drugs. <laughs> Touring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a good decade. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so you're does you as a musician benefit you as a lawyer in like what you do? Well, I think nowadays, especially musicians just can't be musicians anymore. Um, You know, before you had managers and things like that, and you can get to that point eventually. But if you talk to any musician who's up and coming and and working themselves up, they all know ha- they all have to be business people. They have to be marketers. They have to be promoters. They have to re- to do a lot of outreach constantly online. You constantly have to be putting yourself in the right place. Um, and so, uh, the law aspect for me, I think, you know, whether I'm managing a band that I'm in, or uh, managing another band one day, or you know, just making contracts for myself, I think, you know, I think it's definitely a good thing for any industry that you're in to have a law degree. Does it uh does being a mu- musician help you in the case of like the Led Zeppelin case or copyright infringement? Knowing, because could you even be called as almost like an expert witness? Well, I wouldn't be a I wouldn't be an expert witness. Um, but you could find people, I guess, who would be. But I also, you know, it gives definitely my ear is used in the office when we're debating on whether or not to take a case, when we're uh, discussing the merits of a case. You know, like. Do these songs sound similar? In what ways do they sound similar? Um, and that saves money for the firm because we don't have to rely on experts so much, you know. Sure. Um, so can you can you read music? I actually can't. No, I don't. Mm. But I, what I say to that is, neither did the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> so can you can you take a song and like figure it out how to play it just based on? So you can hear music. You can hear the right the notes. Yeah, I th- yep. I uh, do live band karaoke. And we're not in a pandemic. I did live band karaoke. <laughs> yeah. and uh, In the old world. In Center City, Philly, and that was really fun. 
it was it's basically a band on stage and you draw a name out of the hat and whoever's name gets called comes up and sings a song whatever they want with the band and uh so you have to be able to whip it out on the fly yeah, pretty quick it was, it's so much fun it's at fergie's pub in center city oh yeah i know the spot a little plug for fergie <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean i i don't think it'll be too far off until we see you perform again but the one thing i will say if like 20 like everybody's like 2020 summer's canceled and i'm like well you better get a lot ready for 2021 summer because there's going to be mistakes made next year like everybody's <laughs> oh, going to be like a suppressed for a year yeah. they're going to come out twice as hard for summer 2021 Dude, i don't know man i'm i'm like i have no idea what to expect i'm worried about november i'm worried about the election because who knows what the city's going to look like if we get four more years of trump even if even if biden wins i don't know What's going to happen? Who knows? I don't Where do you, I mean, yeah, I'd be interested to hear what your, what your take is on that. Like on what, what, so like I, I'm in the camp of, you know, conservative. I, I don't think I'm Republican or Democrat, but I definitely lean like financially conservative, probably socially more liberal. Um, I don't nef necessarily think that the president himself has as much importance on what, is going on in my life as may some people might feel that way i i think local politics has way more importance on what we do in terms of business and our lives than the president does like the president's kind of like he's like the circus ringleader he comes out in between acts and like makes some jokes but realistically like if you're mayor um or governor or your local politicians like those are the people that I think people just kind of like, ah, I vote Democrat and they just straight vote down a line, but they don't even know any of those people's immediate policy. And those people you elect locally have more to do with the president than you actually voting for the president. I, I would agree with that. Um, definitely. And what's interesting is that there's been one party in Philadelphia for the last 60 years that's run things and that's the Democrat Party, and it would be nice to see uh, some change, even if it was a left-leaning candidate that was more independent, that ran as a Republican. Because what happens is over time, you know, connections and and uh, bureaucratic, you know, weight just gets heavier and heavier, and the the institution becomes it starts to eat itself. And I think that's what's happening right now. And it would it would be nice to see an independent come and say, you know what, we're gonna we are going to focus on certain reforms that are needed. Um, and we can ally with the left in some ways to make a better change for everyone. I think that that's p that could be an option. I mean, I, that's there. Whether or not it will happen, I don't know. I think it's definitely there f for the taking. Now is probably the most opportunistic time for that. Mm -hmm. um, you think so? Uh, I feel like there's yeah. more extremism now than ever. And yeah, left left culture is very has this very woke stance, and usually historically, I'm not saying there is an opportunity because I do agree, but I disagree at the same time. Like I almost feel like there is more opportunity for an overcorrection if somebody in the middle doesn't present themselves. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with overcorrection because I don't think ex the extremists are the ones that actually take to the polls and the majority, the silent majority. I think that the the middle ground we're all much more similar than people want to leave yeah, the, the middle believe. 80 
right? There's the yeah, eighty yeah. And uh I just think that, that those voting even when extreme people go into the poop booths, they may not vote for you know what side they're on. Mm. Um, you know, because that's the that's the beauty of voting. It's completely confidential, which kind of brings up like mail in voting, which may not be fully confidential anymore because someone else is reading the ballot, understanding it, feeding it through, or whatever. But um I think up for taking, especially in municipalities like Philadelphia, maybe you know, the left is tired of what's going on because nothing's really getting done, and they're trying to blame more problems on, let's say, the federal government, which you would be hard-pressed to, like, really put some of the problems that Philadelphia struggles with, any major city struggles with, on the federal government and the president. And I think people are just looking for that scapegoat. So, you know, I think if you did present them with a middle-ground person, I think you could also get some of the people on the right that are just – maybe don't necessarily agree with the extremism of where the right seems to be heading. Like it definitely seems like the country, like you were saying is dividing hard and it's like parting the sea. You have the mm-hmm. left and the right. And you, you better, I also you think better pick a camp. I also think that's sometimes is what's presented to us. Yeah. But then we have these conversations in, in this room or outside with people that have very different opinions than us. But then at the end of the conversation, you're like, ah, Oh, we all kind of agree on the same thing. It's just like we kind of differ on how we are presenting what we feel. Right. And we should be focusing on bridging the gaps rather than squaring off against each other. And in some ways, I think the police versus the protesters are a good example of how that actually is happening. I mean, I think that there's a legitimate argument to be made that there is systemic racism at least historically we know it was historically when did it end i don't know if it ever did end and uh i think both sides need to understand that there is some legitimacy on both sides that need to be understood by both sides and i i don't think we're doing a very good job of that i think the media is playing into the divide i think um the extremists are playing into the divide um what would you recommend because you you also do live in the city what would you recommend for, like, the individuals that are seeking out this information or looking for this change? How does one, you know, differentiate between positive momentum and negative momentum when you see, like, these mini little uprisings on the media or the protests? Like, there seems like there's a lot of arguments being made, and people are kind of just hopping onto individual argument trains but not really being clear as to like what's going on or like their level of com- like, it doesn't really seem anybody is focused on the solution. I think there's a lack of leadership. I think that's one of the issues is that you have end police officers and things like that. I don't think that that would be coming from a strong leadership. I think that's, that's an, ev- that's evidence of a lack of leadership and just saying, Oh, dismantle everything rather than coming up with proactive solutions to build communities we're just saying burn them that's what's to me that's what the what's going on right now Mm. i i would agree with that that definitely it definitely seems like i'm a i'm a solution guy i get mad at people like he'll tell you like if you present too many problems to me in a row and you haven't been you're not positive about it you don't have an idea as to where you want to go and you're like here hey andrew here's 50 problems i need you to solve them for me i'll freak out on you i'm like (laughs) you come to me you you had the ability to identify the issues 
which means you should have the ident like the at least the ability in my my eyes to reflect on what's what is the problem and if you know where you are and, and what is problematic here you should have at least some sort of ideas that the heading or the direction you want to go towards because you can't really get away from something if you don't have a direction to go to what you can is what we're seeing is because everybody's just running away from everything and there's no like no clear solution and everybody it, it seems like we're going forward and then we go back 10 steps and then somebody says something like you know we're gonna defund the police department and everybody's like yeah and then we go forward 20 steps and then we're like oh wait we can't do that yeah police are bad and then you go back 15 steps and there's no one stepping up to be like hey everybody this is the way we're gonna go these are why we're gonna go this way and we all need to just like focus on a solution rather than just being upset yeah I guess we don't know if someone's not stepping up and doing that and they're just not getting the coverage they deserve. Well, you do have people like, I mean, I watched, I tuned in for like the funeral, the George Floyd funeral. Mm -hmm. I watched that this morning, like the recap of it. Yeah. And you have individuals in place speaking at this funeral that absolutely shouldn't be there. No. I, you have like, you have Al Sharpton going up there and he's, he's being one anti-Semitic. If anybody picked up on that, Al Sharpton hates Jews verbally. Like he just, the way he speaks, I'm like, how, how is nobody going to like go like, okay, Ice Cube this, this morning or yesterday posted a picture of a bunch of like cartoon black people kneeling over with a building built on top of their backs with the Jews sitting on top of it. Right. Like, has, like Orthodox, like you can't differentiate what the cartoon is like. And it's like, you have all these people attacking other people. Yes, it was a terrible situation that has catalyzed the opportunity for change. But the people at the top are so scared of like the woke culture that they're coming out in front of them and just saying the sound bites. Like it's just like the talking points. It's like Joe Biden came on at the funeral and he gave his speech and it was like, we do have a, an opportunity here to end systemic racism in our country. And I was like, and he just said things like it didn't make any sense, but it was just like the talking points. Like he said the vocab words. And I'm like, does anybody realize that this man has been in government since the 70s? Yeah. And more you guys that. are brought him it's around. more than that. Look at his policies. He's instituted more uh, policies that would be considered systemic racism than almost anyone in Congress right now. And I also agree with that. And it's like, who has dropped the curtain over everyone's eyes? And they're, everybody's just angry, and then they haven't stopped to be like, hey, what? The bad guys are leading us. Yeah. Like, I don't, mm. I'm, I'm definitely not a staunch Trump reporter, but I can't, like, like, a lot of times people are like, Trump's a racist. And I'm like, can you, and like, now I'm scared to even ask because people just block me or they get mad or they call, like, I'm like, can you show me? And I honestly want it. I'm not trying to start fights. I want someone to show me evidence that the man is this racist that everybody is saying like net it's just like the media says it. So it's therefore true. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah. Jump on this bandwagon. But what if somebody came out and like said something about you? Like my business partner said, like said something terrible about you. That wasn't true. Mm -hmm. We have now allowed our media and all these people to be able to come out and just say untruths without any repercussion or being held, held accountable. And then when it does come out, like the whole, um, like the Russia gate, that came out and there was no evidence. 
There was no there's no collusion between Trump. But like now we have the COVID. So nobody is tuning in. Hillary Clinton's on trial for Benghazi this week. Nobody knows about that. Yeah. Like there's people being like the opportunities where you go back and you're like, oh, actually, this is the truth. This is what happens. Nobody's tuned in at that point. So only everybody only ever believes the immediate like windfall of like. It's because they get ratings on the on the television news stations. Mm. And the more extreme extremists and dramatic they can be, the higher the ratings, the more commercials they play. And it's a problem. And and the, I think the solution is I think local leaders like Andrew was talking about and maybe, you know, other leaders inside of our Congress making decisions, but mainly governors. I think I think first time I've seen in a long time governors are now taking that left right position where most governors don't win by huge margins they they win by very small margins and you may get a democratic governor in a mostly red state you may get a a republican governor in a very middle state um and they call them purple states but with the covid and how that was politicized and now this this george floyd incident and you know we can all agree that standing and kneeling on someone's neck and like just that there's no training and you know, that's what's things so need, terrible things about need to everybody change. agrees on that but we all agree on it but somehow they made it politicized to where you're either in like the left or the right and and the governors i think are the ones that really need to step up how they divide us over something that we all agree on you know I, what i think needs to be recognized as well is that uh president trump is placating to that and he is causing it Probably more than any president that I've seen in my life. I'll I mean, agree. Uh, he's just the fact that he is failing to distinguish conceptually between protesters and rioters. To me, that's a huge issue. He's doing you're, it intentional, though. He, right. But he's intentionally causing that divide. He's playing to it because it helps him. And he's not thinking about the long term. You think you think he I don't necessarily think that Donald Trump has a longer strategy that like some people give him credit for i think he's a, i think he he lives day to day like a, like a one-year strategy in the moment kind of guy i think he rallies his troops when he says things like these ro- these protesters are terrorists like i think his i think that gets his base going and i think that's why he does things like that and i think that he's not considering what that's doing he's play he's creating he's going with he's basically taking the same narrative as the media except coming at it from the opposite side. He's playing to that same game. He's playing the same game. Oh, I would say Donald Trump is definitely, in fact, playing the same game. But I don't know, and I don't know if this is, like, the right verbiage. Like, I don't know if he's playing, He maybe he's not playing as well or he's not playing at, like, it seems like the woke side has way more control right now, day-to-day, over, like, the media explosiveness and things. Donald Trump, I think, had the opportunity to kind of cut the cut the head off in the beginning. Had he come out, and, and, like, you and I were talking about this, had he come out, taken a knee right off the bat, which some people are like, no, don't ever take the knee, like, don't give him a thing, whatever. But, like, there's a lot of Americans, Americans, not black versus white or purple, like it's Americans are upset. The president of America should come out and be like, you're my people. I'm upset with you. Let's kneel for eight and a half minutes. And when I stand up, I'm going to say, this is what we're going to do this week for the George Floyd thing. Even though I don't necessarily think he should be getting involved on state level things, Mm -hmm. but it's so big now that I think he should have. 
And then he, and then, you know, maybe this is too extreme, but like, had he come out and been like, Hey, we're going to aggressively pursue a federal, like federally legalizing marijuana, because I feel there are un, unfortunately, and a, a lot more people in jail for marijuana related crimes that shouldn't be. And that's impacted the minority community. So I'm going to do that first. Number two, we're going to start looking into this policy or this, like, had he come out and said, Hey, look, like we don't have the solution today, yeah. but like, I'm going to focus on getting, getting something done. Cause this is wrong. And we're going to make you guys feel better. Like as a, you know, he's essentially like the dad of the United States. He's the angry dad right now though. And he's not like, I was so dis I've been so disappointed in Trump so many times, but this was definitely <coughs> the peak disappointed I've been in him. Cause I'm like, I hope he comes out and, you know, says, like, acknowledges how terrible it is. I really wished he didn't really spend so much time on the rioting, acknowledging the rioting. I think he should have said, yes, the protesters, you know, we're going to protect your protest. Rioting was awful, by the way. Yes. Yeah. As someone who is, who is living in Philly for the last two weeks, like, I'm almost at the point where, well, I am at the point where explosions are literally second nature. And uh, you, you hear it, like, about every... It was every minute or so. Is it still happening? Yeah, like it, now? it's still happening now, but just less frequently. Less Where frequently. is that more time at, at night time? It's always at night. Yeah, or like, like as it's as the sun comes down. Like, it, do you do you explosions? Yeah, do you hear like, I guess, do you hear fireworks going off and people throwing fireworks at each other? Do you hear like large? Apparently, it's ATMs being exploded. Mm. So See, I know I know a guy. Joe, who I've done things <laughs> in the city with, yeah. Um, he, when I texted him, he he sent me some pictures of that building that fell fell down that we were speaking of over yeah. at Northern Liberties, and uh, I was like, hey, like, hey, how's it going in the city? Like, what's up? Like, what's life like? Because he commutes to work on Fifth and um, Walnut, I think. Mm -hmm. And he's like, hey, still working from home, not really going around, blah, blah, blah. Some idiot blew himself up on our street trying to blow up an ATM. That's mm -hmm. so funny. And yeah, I was like, the thing. what? That and I was like, what, what, what would happen to the money if, like, you're using something so explosive that you blew yourself up? What was your plan with the money when that bomb went off? <laughs> like, it wasn't going to stay. Like, does the a money stay around? ATMs <laughs> are amazingly resilient to all sorts of attacks. Well, not even that. Like, have you ever gone up to an ATM and they'd be like, yeah, we don't have enough money for you? That's like every ATM in the city. It's I mean, like, yeah. how could you blow up an ATM and there open it up? There's it $30. Must working. It must be working because it's literally happening every five minutes. Less than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like, can, no, it, can confirm. You're that's, in that ATM business. That's not a good, great business um, to be in. But uh, what would you say? What would you say being that like one, you're a lawyer two, you're intellectually sound as we can tell, you maybe. maybe you are a musician, <laughs> so there's some question in there. He got excited when I showed him the sword or the the eagle knife. Mm. But um, what would you say, That's like awesome. your like, like give me give me like one or two or maybe three things that like you see immediately needing to change with like sure. Philadelphia? Well, um, I think you know we could talk about political solutions, and I definitely have a lot of them, but. I think the fundamental issue is not political, but it's more ethical. And I think that they're, in general, this isn't the black community, this isn't any particular community, people, our culture in general, is moving away from uh, valuing, like holding values and talking about ethics and talking about virtue, talking about what's right, talking about what the right thing to do is, or talking about 
hard work, talking about um, what makes a good person. I think in general, we're just lacking that. And I think our culture... Andrew Napoli for president. Our music, <laughs> our music, our music reflects that. Uh, our movies reflect that. Our our culture reflects that, and I think that that's what the make the big problem is. I think, yeah. Um, so, so would the argument sort of be, and I'm, again, I'm not as John picks up the grenade promoting. <laughs> would the argument be that as religion, because it factually has been leaving American households, mm-hmm. would you think that this is a cause and effect of that of that the ultimate moral compass and depending on what religion you believe in i believe the core values of every religion are based off of the same moral characters right i I really think they're all very very similar they're just different ways to read the book right um and i'm not i'm not talking about the bible as the book i'm just talking about um all religions so as religion so no particular religion but as that leaves the household I wonder if that's left a void. I'm actually, I'll, I'll hit some numbers there before he gets going. Only 12%, and this is from AEI.org, um, American Education Institute. Mm. Um, most Americans today continue to be raised in a religious denomination or tradition. Only 12% of Americans report being raised outside of a formal religious tradition. Half, 50% report being raised Protestant. That doesn't seem necessarily that bad as far as religions go, though. So, however, there are significant differences in religious upbringings of Americans across generations. Young adults 18 to 29 are far more likely to have been raised without religion than seniors. Oh, maybe I was reading time. Okay, sorry. That was my apologies. So, seniors. So, roughly one in five, 22% of young adults report that they were not raised in any particular religion compared to only 3% of seniors. So, 22% of us people in our age group, well, not our age group, just younger than us, 18 to 29, 22% have no contact with religion, whereas people that are our grandparents or parents age 65 or older, only 3% of them have no contact with religion. So, you know, an increase of from 3% to 22%, you can definitely, without argument, say religion is leaving. And, and I would think, and again, anecdotal John Thomas science, <laughs> I wonder if that is more structured around city centers and minority groups. Because I think if you go to different regions of the country, those numbers You're definitely saying change. the nation as a whole. In terms of, like, our culture and ethics. Yeah, well, I just think American culture in general is lacking values. And I think we tend, I think historically we lump, sorry, I'm not talking into the mic. No, you're fine. Uh, Historically, we have bundled religion and ethics together. And I think for a lot of people, they are uh, equivalent in a lot of ways. I don't think we need to do that. I think we can teach ethics without religion and we don't have to force religion on people if they don't want it. But, but ethics are something that all humans require in order to have a good life. Uh, you can't escape the need for ethics because we need to know what to do as humans in, in order to live. We can't just automatically live. We need to have a specific code to, uh, to achieve what we want in life. Would you say that plays... Do you think any, any of what you're saying plays into 
what people claim is like an increase in depression, anxiety? Like, do you think absence of like the moral code or the ethical code to live by is why people are so upset with themselves? There's no doubt. It comes down to self-esteem. Um, knowing that you have the ability to, to change your reality and to get what you want from reality, that's what creates happiness ultimately. And if you don't know that, if you're not, if you're not taught that at a young age and you're not, and you don't develop that, it's, uh, it's going to prevent you from being happy. And that's a fact the way I see it. I love that. That, that's again, that's, that's not a, it's not a race thing at all. It's almost just a household self-esteem confidence level of people in houses. And maybe, you know, maybe if you did focus on that in certain, uh, maybe poorer communities that are struggling with, a household structure where well you you kind of need to focus on that in all communities and maybe even more so affluent communities i'm exploring an idea right here mm. just because like you and it maybe it's not affluence maybe like and here's my take on that i 100 percent agree with everything he just says maybe 120 percent mm, that's a lot of percent it's more percent than possible that's yeah. how much i agree i think it's up to like i i i I had a hard time voicing my opinion publicly with like my crew and my friends and everything like public speaking. Everything was always a piece of cake because like I always knew everybody. But when like the social media thing started to blow up and we were exploring the podcast, like Jonathan definitely walked me through like the comfort of like saying my ideas because usually like my opinions are very just like aggressive or they're presented aggressive. Like I, I'm abrasive sometimes and, like, when you just said that right then, it kind of made me feel more obligated to take, maybe not necessarily a stand, but take more opportunities that are in front of me to, like, present how to do things in the sense of, like, I think I have, like, an extreme ethical and moral code that I live by every day. Like, maybe it's up to us to kind of, like, over or outvoice the opposing side. So it's like I, I, we have the podcast, which like it's starting small, but like maybe someday it is large enough that we impact people's decision making practices. Yeah. And like I definitely, now that like the social media is like, it's just like lit a fire under me right now, just because like now it's up to us who actually have codes or live by or like know these things to kind of like reach out to the other people and not in an aggressive manner, but be like, hey man, like maybe try this out. Yeah, I think we were talking about this one of these, I don't know if it was on a podcast or whatever, but I think, I think in your circle you definitely have people that need help and outreach. And like, if you can help guide them and give them ability to find their own moral compass or ethics, or, you know, I don't know if we're saying moral and ethics are the same thing, but, um, you help them find what they need to be found. I think everyone has a responsibility. And, and I would argue, even if you had five listeners of a podcast, everything we say on here influences somebody some way, whether they agree, mm. disagree or whatever. If they listen to the words, it goes inside their head and something happens. Yeah, I would like... Hopefully it's positive. It's, you know, it's uh, one thing to identify the solution. It's another thing to convey that to people because you have to understand that everyone's coming from a different context than you. And so yeah. for us to sit here and just say, it's personal responsibility. Like, yeah, that, that's true, but... You can't say that to someone who has been raised to think that the world is against them. Like you have to be tactful in the way that you get these messages across, and it's that, and that's why it's not an easy thing to, to 
to do. And that's why things are so screwed up because the solution, can't, it, it's almost, you have to, you have to, it takes time to get to that. And it really starts when people are young and the family, you know, families are broken right now, which is a cause of all this. And we're having less kids. And that's why, and that's where the law comes in. And that's where the law can actually be changed in a way that will help families stay together. And, you know, that's where things like the drug war comes in. You know, people are being incarcerated, removed from their families for nonviolent crimes uh, where they would otherwise be home. That's happening to a lot of people. Um, there's law, you know, there's a, there's a Supreme Court case called Terry v. Ohio from 1968 that made it legal for a cop to detain and frisk someone, frisk, sorry, uh, without probable cause. And so that lowered the standard of what was required for a police officer to stop someone. Um, and I think it was done with good intentions, but I think it really created a divide between people and police, whereas we're no longer going to treat individuals as innocent people. We're going to be suspicious of them. And uh, I think, you know, certain cases like that could be addressed by Congress. You have, like, issues like qualified immunity, um, which prevents police officers from being sued uh, personally for constitutional violations that they commit. Um, you know, we already have a system where they'll go to prison if they're, if they're found guilty, but we don't allow for recovery for the victim. And I think, you know, there's certain things like that that'll incentivize cops when they are in it, when they are not following the law, it will help them stay where they should be, you know? So from like, for most people, when I interact with them, I feel like there is a complete lack of understanding or a complete lack of knowledge of laws that I feel every human being within our borders should be educated on and understand. Especially when, especially the law that, uh, comes into play when you deal with police officers like in regular encounters. I feel like people do not understand that you should never talk to cops in those situations. Spoken like a true lawyer. You should never, <laughs> never. If you're in a position... <laughs> 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 don't, don't. <laughs> Andrew's always like, man, if we get pulled over, don't talk. Yeah, I'll, just I'll don't do say the anything. <laughs> I, don't mean, I don't mean that. I don't... I don't let, me, let me clarify. Well, we're bootleggers, I don't first mean, off. I, don't, <laughs> I definitely don't mean, like, don't talk to them, ignore them, and don't play, don't do what they ask. Do what they ask. Be, be very nice. But if they arrest but you... But no, you're right. You have to stop talking when they arrest you. So when, so like, we'll clarify, because like, I I personally think, like, I I have a lot of friends that when we were younger, like, you have people that are like 17, you have friends that are 18, you have like, people getting in trouble, you get in trouble for drinking underage, like just dumb, dumb, dumb kids stuff. Like, there were kids that I had interactions with that, like, I charged for adult level stuff that were like doing kids stuff. But, like, they didn't understand. They're like, oh, I'm, I'm just a kid. This is a cop. I'm going to talk to him the whole way to the police station. And it's just like, you're just like, oh, yeah, we're going to call my mom. We'll probably have tacos after you get done at the station with me. It's like the cop's just writing down everything you're saying. And then when you go to court. So would you say, like, when the cop puts the handcuffs on you, like, when, when do you stop talking to the police in that scenario that, like, you're being accused of a crime? You just answer... You t- I mean, it's not so much when as to what you're 
what you're talking about. Mm. You know, you just give them your basic information about yourself and that's it. You don't talk about what happened. Mm. You don't try to explain yourself. You don't try to set the story straight. You or try and get yourself out of it. Don't. You just go along with what the cops want and then you'll have your time in court. So y- it's 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 important to understand that like I think they're like the cops or the police officers are sometimes seen as like like um like judges like judges from like Judge Dredd like the movie like they're the judge and police officer so when they arrest you they like all right I'm Judge Dredd like now I'm going to judge you for your crimes like cops they're police they they you know they collect their evidence they document the information everything you're saying to them is being documented as your statement and then you go to court and then the state has the opportunity to present their case against you once you've been identified by a police officer or share, or like whomever your governing party is like the the motions are unset they can't go backwards like they're just doing their jobs collecting the information like they don't have the decision to be like okay we're going to let you guys go this one time for drinking and driving like that's not i think yeah. now because of like the internet and computers and stuff like maybe back in the day you could like all right you know what we're going to let this slide but like now it's like yeah so i think would you say that like once a cop hey we're you know you're being arrested they read you your rights now you stop talking if they keep, if you get, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely by that point, yeah. Mm. You do not, don't say anything after they read you your rights. That means you've already been detained and arrested. Uh, and accused of something. Right. right? Yeah. So, so uh, prior to that, things you never, say could never, actually incriminate you. Listen, they, they always try to get you to waive your rights. Never sign that paper that waives your rights. They'll say, you know, we just need you to sign this. We'll take care of everything, get you out of here. They'll say anything they want. Wait, there's a paper that they have that waive your rights? I, I mean, I don't have many interactions at all with mm-hmm. uh, other than, like, speeding and a couple Well, that's, like, the, the mindset is, like, I'm never going to commit a crime, so I'm not going to brush up on this stuff. But, like, right. I have seen situations or at least heard of situations where it's, like, something very meaningless all of a sudden turns into something like... Turned into a thing. Look, well, you, everybody knows how fast things can get out of control. Yeah. Like something very small, like you're texting and driving. Next thing you know, you like, you bump the curb and you hit the old lady on the corner. Like that could happen to anybody that's texting and driving right now. And if you, you deny that. So like you were saying about like the ethics and everything like that. What do you, you don't have kids, do you? No. Okay. High five. I have have friends who act like kids. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we probably all have like kids at some point as we both look that. at john like he's sitting there with the grenade and like <laughs> what do you no, do you, you think your friend group has like the like shows up besides like their you know jester like behavior like do they show the ethics and morals that like you you know think uh, are moving well, the worlds forward like is this is I this like a, a group by group basis or is this like a larger problem I think most people individually have at least some qualities that are good, you know. Um, my point earlier was more about what's being celebrated and focused on in culture. Um, and I think there's just a lack of regard for values in general in it. I just don't – I think most of it is not where I, – I, there should be more focus on individual – responsibility, individual growth, individual interests, individuality, uh, 
a la- or, you know, a regard for different opinions, dissenting opinions. We could be having, we could be ha- almost having fun addressing issues if we work together and making a, a more constructive situation. Um, but there's a, just a lot of division. And I, I think that, Ultimately, it comes. Th- it's just uh, an issue of ethics. That's what I think. That was my point. The mm. uh, we were talking about people going to the the voting booth and they just hit the hit the button and it c- makes one side colored, right? They voted for one side, um, which in theory backs up the idea of an electoral college, right? Because everybody in a certain district, if they Nobody educates themselves, and they're all part of a community. They're probably all voting the same, but you don't want that particular community outweighing another community who has a different mm-hmm. opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you're talking about people's personal responsibilities, and I think it's exactly that. It's on the individual. And how do you promote that? I mean, that's that's the hard part. The, the solution is, yes, I that, think there are examples, but, but how, how, what's hard like, about can it? you legislate that? I don't think you can. Well, can you, can you teach, you know, so the question is, does society itself change and individuals change for the overall good of the society? Because no government can tell someone they need to be more ethical because it's just going to, it's going to go down a horrible path of now they're judging what's ethical and now they're judging what to believe. How do we get individuals mm-hmm. to take ownership of their own actions? Yeah. Well, right. Because most, most, most will blame their actions, right? Like looters and rioters, on that's an extremist idea, but on something else. The easiest way to do to do that in my this is just my opinion would be to start with a child at birth, and to do that you need to have m- mom and dad both on the same page, or you know whatever the parents are. It's a crazy world we live in nowadays. Non-binary units. Yeah, does whatever everyone, it is. Does everyone have to go to match.com? No, can we just pause Can we just pause real right. quick, though? The, on our analytics for the podcast, it gives me the sexes as non-specified, non-binary, male, or female. Currently, we are 25% unspecified. Mm. When you're talking about tri- you know, individualism, one could argue that the most opinionated people of the leaders of communities were the Americans that started the constitution started verbally arguing that back and forth. Right. Cause if you think about how that took place, you know, if they were in, in Vermont or they were in South Carolina, they had to all travel, right. Mm-hmm. They had to travel to, uh, I guess it was, you know, Philadelphia. Th- well, it started in New York and then Philadelphia. Right. But they all had to travel, so they'd leave their families behind. There's no, like, telegraph. There's no phone. There's no Twitter. And they completely leave. So they have to take the values of that community mm-hmm. with them. And they're taking notes. That It's, like, it's ingrained into them because, again, it was like a tribe back then. It's ingrained in them. They go up, and now they're talking to people that are completely different. But they have to represent and not change because there's no time to go back and say, hey, guess what? We signed this constitution thing, but we kind of forgot about our state because I just didn't have my voice. They couldn't do that. They had to absolutely argue until some sort of compromise could happen. And that's where certain people, when they were doing the 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 constitution, certain people played the mediator 
better than others, but they did encompass all those opinions and they fought and they argued and they debated them. You ever see what goes on on the, on the, on the floor of Congress now? It is a shit show, right? You got people talking about their opinions or you got people talking about crap. They're just reading off of a, a, a filibuster or whatever. I mean, they're really not arguing. They're, they come up. There's that vocab word. What? If you talk about Congress and you don't throw filibuster in there, everybody yeah. believes you don't know what you're talking about. That's true. But they, there's no good forum, public forum, for people to talk about this stuff without getting radical. So I wonder if there's a way. I don't know. Like yeah, these, so these conversations I'm, right now are good. How can more people feel good? Because you can't even do that with your own family now. I'll carry your right? I, I'll carry your idea. Um, so when you had all those people come together to write the Constitution, you had individuals representing tribes or groups, yep. states, whatever their policies were, but you had individuals and a select group of individuals. And then those select group of individuals, it was their responsibility from therefore to represent everybody. Fast forward to 2020, instead of having a select group of well-read, maybe good conversationalists, like people that can talk to one another regardless of differences, like oh, you're different, but we still value you. Everyone has a voice now. And now everybody's voice is like, let me see what I can say to get the 15 minutes I need to get me in front of the camera or in front of the limelight, whether it's on Instagram, social, and this, this problem, you know, Karen Jr., who's 14 years old, has an Instagram and has the ability to like go back and find something you said in 2008 and skewer you alive on Twitter for it. And that little girl has no understanding of the world, which isn't fair because like we were all young once, but like we have all this information just being constantly forced to the forefront that nobody is clear on like what that's why I asked them like what what are your key issues that you would like to see a difference in like you can't go out like one the number one thing that we discovered with the podcast was conversations mm -hmm. I'm guilty of getting in arguments with people on Facebook and Instagram and then I gave up. I was like, this isn't the platform. We, we need to accept that those written text platforms are not the place to be having intellectual-based conversations and thought. Because you, I, I am 100% guilty of this as well. Like, I'll see somebody with an interesting thought that I may disagree with. And I'll be like, hey could you explain this to me or like, like, can you maybe like elaborate on this or maybe I'll ask them like a more like a question more detailed to that instance. And a lot of times it ends with me getting blocked, them not responding, them telling me I'm a racist or an idiot or whatever that week's thing is. Like with Corona, I was spreading rumors with this. Uh, I'm just like a Republican that doesn't have any opinions anymore. Like, and I was like messaging someone. I'm like, no, we agree on 99% of the same things. I want to understand why you, you have 20 pictures a row in a row on your story that says, fuck the police. And you're from Newtown Bucks County. And you used to be a volunteer firefighter or an EMS or like you were a boy scout. Like you come from a world where like 
Like, I want to understand where you, what happened in your life that got you to the point that you think it's okay or it's a positive message to promote fuck the police. And that's just like that context situation. Well, so, so much of, of our understanding of each other comes from seeing, looking into each other's eyes and feeling each other's uh, emotion and feeling each other's energy. And without that, we we're completely dehumanized. I mean, I think the last 10 years we've definitely become more radical as a result of that. That's one reason. And, uh, there's, there's really, uh, no time for intellectual conversation in person anymore. There's no time for patience in person like that. Uh, we, we like our 10 minute clips on, on, or our 10 second clips on Instagram. And we like, you know, little memes. That's how most of our information is being spread nowadays. So. Yeah. Which is not necessarily controlled by individuals controlled by you know, whoever's spreading whatever message they want to spread with a lot of money behind them. There's a lack of in-depth critical thinking. So democracy's built mm. on critical thinking. Democracy's built on individualism. How do we go from here? Because we're going to get to this election, and I think you and I have talked about it before. They're already setting it up that if one side loses, they're going to call the other side a fraud. They're already setting it up perfectly for November. Do you feel like that that is a realistic expectation of what's to come? Yeah, and yeah, I th yeah I think if Trump wins again, the, the cities are going to burn. And I'll then say that now. I'll and, then if, now. and then if and if Trump doesn't win, he'll probably call the election a fraud, that mail-in voting or whatever happened, it was rigged. Yeah. And so now, in the first time in a long time, and, and I haven't been alive or studied history enough in the past to know if this is now that he before. said the cities are going to like now I'm like oh I didn't, I didn't really think this all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> Has there ever been a non-peaceful trans? Uh, transition of power in the United States or in history? His, in history of no, the in, United States? In our history of the United States, okay. has there no. been a violent transfer of power? Never. That's always what there was a big deal in American history was that the transition of presidents is like this huge American phenomenon. It's always been peaceful, you know. But we're one of the youngest forms of government ever created. And the question is, can, can democracy get past this? Because right now, it's pushed pretty far to the limit. Well, I do want to. I want to touch on what Kumo said Monday or Tuesday. Which Kumo? The, I don't want to talk about the media Kumo. Not Chris. Okay, we're talking about the older brother Kumo. I don't mind him so much, actually. Chris. Get out of here. Chris, yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I watched him for about an hour last week, and that was the only time I ever saw him. Oh. But I thought he was an honest. I got the impression that he was an honest journalist. Here's why I don't like. Real quick, I'm sorry. No, no. I'm, Here's why I don't like Chris. He has a podcast on POTUS station on XM Satellite Radio. It's I think it's a two-hour-long radio show. He gets into the in-depth conversations much better than he does when he's thrown on CNN. Sure. And he has openly admitted, like, they control what it says underneath his face on the TV, and they really push him towards talking points. Um, and that's the and only reason. they? They, I mean, whoever controls CNN, the editor. Right. Right. Well, who's he getting it from? What, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so I do I do want to say that the there was a podcast that everybody should listen to. Uh, it was a Joe Rogan podcast. It was I forget the the people he had on. It was a a man and a female um guest and they have like a right versus left podcast. And one of the things they brought up was like how um 
the governor Kumo had said like show me like a protest or a peaceful protest like like that's just it's not the case like we you're allowed to protest violently in this country and like <laughs> the next thing was like a picture of the US constitution and then highlighting peaceful pro- like citizens are allowed to peaceful protests and he was like on TV being like yeah well you show me you show me a protest that that doesn't end in violence that's like that's our country and I'm like does this man we elected into like as a as a governor? Did he does he have any understanding of the Constitution? Because I'm pretty sure. And like before, I could even Google the Constitution to the line. Like the next the next clip over was like the piece for me. So I was like, are are we being governed by people that don't necessarily know the rules? Also, he's, he's completely taking out of context the extent of the destruction that happened a couple weeks ago. I mean. If it's not like there was just a couple buildings burnt, like entire center city. I is, got some stats on that. Is destroyed. In, Black and white businesses. In Minneapolis, 1,000 businesses were affected with property damage. 70 buildings were burned. 56 of them completely to the ground. And we're not talking about all major. You're talking about 70 structures burned, 56 completely gone. Take that in, rea- in context to the town that you live in whether it's a small town or big town, taking the context of Philadelphia. If you took, and it's all concentrated usually in the downtown, if you took 56 buildings in Philadelphia and burned them to the ground, that is massive amount of destruction. They say that the bill... That's probably old city from the river to city hall along like Along one of the chestnuts or walnuts burned. Yeah. And, and, Jesus. It's, and it's not, and it was new construction. It was, it, there's a manufacturing company that was next to a new uh, apartment complex that was vacant. It was under construction. And they said that the fire department let that building burn because there's pretty much no way of putting it out at that point because the fire was fully, it's, yeah. it was too hot, right? And that ended up burning their business, and they've already moved their business out saying, you know, why should we rebuild in, the, in a city that didn't protect us? Um, but they're saying that the damage could be upwards of five hundred and fifty million, which would put it only second place to the ninety two riots in LA. Which would tell you how bad the ninety two riots in LA were, if you put that in, you know, today's money. Every which time is crazy. Every, right. Because it's happened before and history repeats itself. And it just doesn't seem Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna tee uh, off on that. You have Post-92, and you can step in and correct me if I'm ever wrong here, but, like, the Democratic Party in Los Angeles took, got way powerful after 92. And you have all these cities, Minneapolis. They're all Democratic. Democratic, I think it's 30 years running. Philadelphia's 50 or 60 years. the 50s. Yeah, I think it's, like, 57, I read. Of straight years, Democratic, 58 this year, probably, is what I think. Why is there, in my viewpoint, I don't know because I'm not a minority, but why does it always seem like the Democrats, like, prey upon the minorities and they make them all these promises and then the minorities rallied up around this situation and they're like, we want all this change and everything like this. But, like, we've been electing the people into office that they are looking to make the changes for them. Why does that, does that, not, does that. Oh, boy, we're sh- going down the rabbit hole. Well, I mean, we can go down any rabbit hole you want. No, but, like, that's, that's something that, I need clarified for me. I don't, also don't understand 
that, and that's a huge, like, elephant in the room. They focus the votes because of the vote count the Democrats can get in inner cities, right? And they push agendas and they push talking points, and they're very effective in inner cities. You got the collective people. Again, you're talking about, like, a community together all kind of thinking alike. Yeah, know? but the Republicans are obviously not keeping you down if we're not even – I say we – I'm, I'm, that's what I'm, I, I 100% agree with what you're saying. I'm just kind of like trying to reword it in my own mind of why, if a city's been run by X number of years, 60 years, which is long enough to make systematic change, why do they sit there and say the, the Republicans are bad and the Democrats are good and we're going to come do this in the city when they haven't done it for 60 years? And why can nobody see that? Like, why does that not come to the forefront? But it's clear they, as it, they would think it would be worse if it was a, if it were the Republicans running the show, because they see the Democrats giving them some relief, whereas they see re- Republicans as uh, threatening to take away the little that they have. That's what. And, and they see but that isn't they, the they see that Republicans wouldn't like give them like help them with financial assistance or like, right like. You it's have to be careful how you say these things. Yeah, yeah but you got to also take, like, our perspective on it, right? We're, we're trying to have an open, honest conversation about the perspective of how we see, because they're all telling us that the problem is yeah, in like inner if cities. we can't be honest in here, yeah. then, like, you can't... Uh, like, if I'm not honest in front of just two people that, like, I hold to regard, how am I supposed to be honest to people when I go out to Wawa? Or how am I supposed to be honest... When I'm not in front of other people, I just because like the char- your character, like I've been over the last like few years, I've definitely spent a lot of time thinking about like, okay, I can't do this action right now, even if nobody's looking, because I know what it's going to feel like when I go in front of other people and, and that conversation comes up. I can't think of something off the top of my head. Probably texting and driving was is the most related thing because like we'll get together and I'll be like, dude, I and I. I just don't, I'm probably 97% no text and drive up from a hundred, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so yeah. like I didn't, I, I would get into these situations where I'd be like in a room with people and like somebody would be like, Oh, texting and driving. And I'd be like, I'm not going to say anything, but I definitely fucking text and drive right here. And I'm definitely the person they're talking about, but I'm not going to say it's me. So like, I think there's, there, there's a, a definite danger in being honest because you can get just roasted alive these days. But I think that's like kind of the problem is that like we can't take the honesty anymore. I, I think I got it. I think poli- being politically correct has pe- stopped people from actually thinking and being honest because everyone's afraid to say something. Like you just said something that I think was fairly impactful about government assistance and how they're pumping it into the more poor neighborhoods, which it needs to happen, Right. We Maybe. all we all agree that those who need help need help. But what happens when politically correctness enters the thing? It starts to censor and you start to censor yourself, right? Because you're afraid of what people are gonna think, say, do, or whatever to you. Mm-hmm. And so this whole culture of being PC, I think is causing the conversations to stop. Well, I think people want to be PC because there are some people that are not PC that are using it in a way that's like attacking. It's like sometimes not being PC is malicious. 
Whereas like, yes, not I, being agreed. PC should be like, hey, cut the bullshit. No more political correctness. But some people use non-political correctness like Al Sharpton. To be vulgar. Or, like he stood, he stood up at, at that, that man's funeral and said things in front of people that I'm like, nobody is going to say anything to this right now. Like he is saying things that are like so incendiary and so racist and so like just wrong. Like he was talking about how in his speech, like in front of the whole funeral was talking about how like the Egyptians wrote all the math and then like. We, he got into, like, how we brought them over here on slave ships. I'm like, my com- my family wasn't even in this country when this all went down. How are you going to stand there in front of all these people and be like, you guys are all the problem? Be like, my like my family immigrated here in the pa- just this past century. Like, I, like, what are you talking about? Like, how yeah. can you group everybody that's not not on the woke your woke team how is everybody else the enemy and how do you see promoting everybody else as the enemy as a solution like where do you where do you where do you propose to make solutions if everybody else is the enemy i i listened to don lemon on cnn call he called the president of the united states a fascist and he said democracy is going to fall and this was right after they, his speech that he had, you know, where he controversially went to the church. Where he said whatever. he was law and order. Where he said he was law and order. And right after that, <laughs> if you listen to the coverage, he literally, and I'm surprised they haven't tried to scrub this on the internet, but he pretty much said that the country is going into fascism. Don, the, Don Lemon said that. Don Lemon said that. I who, agree. Who, he could be one of the most radical journalists on TV. He holds a very prime spot, and they do that for a reason. They give him like the ten to eleven or eleven to twelve, whatever it is. Um, he holds that spot because I, th- I I don't know what the agenda is to have someone that divisive on if it's not just for ratings, right? Because I think that people that are watching TV by themselves at ten o'clock at night. It's the it's for the same reason they put the most violent comedian on at one thirty in the morning. But do you guys and disagree with him? There's four people. I mean, do I d- disagree with Don Lemon. Yes. On that point, you don't uh, think we're headed yeah. towards fascism? I definitely do. You do? Oh yeah, no doubt. I don't know if I'm 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 I'll put my hand up and raise it right now. I don't know if I'm completely clear as to like what what constitutes fascism and what is being exemplified as fat like i understand the italians world war ii were fascists but like what is fat like i guess can, can somebody help me out here like what are we what's socialism fascism like what are like because i think probably if i don't understand all of this in it's like definitions and stuff i would venture to say people listening probably don't understand as well so like fascism is where like, what is a government set up like when it's fascist? Fascism is actually a brand of socialism. It, but it's a dictatorship brand in so, of socialism, like a single party. It will, So actual fascism was invented by Benito Mussolini, like you said, before World War II. Um, and what it was was basically the state guides the economy and uh, chooses the actors in the economy. So it says this company will provide all of this. This company will provide all of this. This company will provide all of this. 
and we you know the state it's it's basically an economic model where the state controls the actors and the actors are semi-private in the way that they have they run their own business but they're completely beholden to government so technically by like so socialism is more the actual physical government enterprises running so, uh, social, uh, socialism generally is uh the government owns the means of production okay. it's amazing because if you type in fascism on the internet you probably get a dumpster fire you of get, shit. let's say webster dictionary okay merriam webster remember when we used to have encyclopedias and dictionaries their thing is a political a political a philosophical philosophical movement of, of regime such as that of a fascist that exalts nation and often race above the individual Okay, is that, is that true? Like they I think that's true, but I don't think that's a good definition. Like how Dictionary.com says a government system led by a dictator having complete power, forcibly suppressing opposition and criticism, yeah. regimenting all industry, yeah. and controlling all industry. Right. So it's very, I, I think, okay, so I'll so go it's very like, commu- like communism, socialism, and fascism are probably all very similar in their roots. Yeah, collectivism. Yeah, it's collected. So I understood yeah. a lot more of that. I, I was lying. Yeah. I understood. Okay. I, but I assume just like when we're talking about like rules and politics and things or like you have the ability to reference um, case law. Like you brought up the instance of, you know, police being able to search you without causation and things like that. And then we were talking about how like people's lack of understanding of just like the constitution or like when you should talk to cops and like it's, it comes down to a lack of education. I don't necessarily know that people today, when I see fascism and socialism being thrown around and that's why I asked you to define it for us. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know if you understand what fascism is based upon the claim you're making. No. Yeah. Most people don't understand what fascism means. And I do think, I mean, cause because of how, uh, influential the Nazi regime is on a, on culture. Mm. Uh, we associate, and they were fascists. They were fascists. We just equate Hitler and Nazi Party with fascism, and we we really have uh, taken the race element and like we now we consider that to be fascism. Where, but really, it's more of a what do you mean? Because because he exterminated, he right, had the genocide. Was, yeah, because of the whole you know. So Hitler Holocaust. ruined fascism. Well, he he, redefi- <laughs> he redefined. He it essentially redefined it, yeah. Evil. Because really, what fascism is is an economic system, yeah, um, more than anything. So, and socialism S- it is more or less, I guess, spreading wealth. Socialism generally is when the state owns the means of production. Right. So, like, so it's like s- the state, like we would instead of having Ford, yeah, we would have United States F one fifty, or like. Un- United, you know, uh, United States oil. Whereas fascism would say, Ford, you can produce the trucks in the country. But if we have a problem right, exactly. with it, or you can get involved. So fascism exactly. could be like capitalism it's and socialism combined into communism. It's like de facto, de facto so, uh, socialism. It's like, we'll yeah. do whatever we, like, you can have your factory, but we're going to tell you what to do, and we're going to take all the money, and we'll provide for you. Very similar to, like, the Chinese regime. Oh, like the, the Ch- Chinese. They're very communist but they're controlled by, I guess, the Communist Party. And would I think fascism has a very central leader. Uh, I, w- I could argue that when people speak on China, 
they they should be using fascism when they use socialism but china isn't the the enterprise economy which is china mm-hmm. is very convoluted so it is a socialist enterprise but they they do a good job of like placing government generals or officials into the companies and they give the illusion that they're private because china did make the attempt um, especially post World War II, because the the Japanese prior to World War II, they were there was like this push to be Western mm-hmm. and have Western well, business because policies. Because it was so obvious that it, that the West was dominant economically. Yeah. So they all yeah one hundred percent. They had no choice. They had no choice. So like all those like Japan did a pretty good job pre World War II of making them more Western. Like their clothing was changing. They were changing their culture. And then, you know, like United, then United Nations and like the world stage then just completely discounted Japan. Like Japan was the minority at the time. They would show up at world events and everybody would be like, I'm the Japanese. So like Japan had a big chip on their shoulder pre to World War II because nobody gave them their 15 minutes. So they're like, you know what? We're going to take Manchuria. We need a couple extra. You know, we, we need some oil. We need some of this. We're, we're just going to go over here and take it. And nobody did anything. So do you think we're closer to getting into like a nationalistic view of America through democracy or do you truly believe that we're heading or t- or or the leaders are he- trying to head us toward fascism because I really don't agree with that but I want to talk it through with you. I think Trump has adopted many fascist policies. Um the trade war is fascism. Uh force like Forcing the meat companies to continue through COVID, that's a form of fascism. But let's let's talk about if he didn't do that, right? Meat would become a supply a severe supply and demand issue. You would have a hard time buying quality meat. I get it. I, I understand, yeah. but what you're saying is yeah, but the road to hell is always paved in good intentions, is what he's saying. So, like, yeah. although those pa- those policies benefited us. Benefit, benefit us. It, it, it's still very important to take a step back, and like that's what like I think I do a good job as a conservative or a Republican. Like I take a step back and like, dude, that's bullshit. Because that policy is like, okay, we're gonna do this. Got away with it. Yeah, but it's not but like, like it's, it's like it's that, not like he the whole, caused the whole thing with Twitter is also an example of fascism. It, it's not like he 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 said that this uh, non-essential, non-food store had to stay open and keep producing what they were producing, right? Like, Yeah, but World War II, our involvement in World War II, like Hitler started his movements in the 1930s. Most of the like the moving into other territories and just like, hey, I'm going to put my toe over here, see what anybody does. Well, influ- and nobody reacted to him, influence. so eventually it got so big, and that is the problem, like the Saving Private Ryan movie. Like, we only ever see the last third of world war ii as americans we don't actually yeah, we didn't understand how many years it took and how many opportunities there were for someone else to step up and be like cut that shit out but well, the reason american breaking like a lot of the treaties of world war one he was breaking and getting away with them and no one was enforcing but you know why they weren't enforcing them because the united states was making all the equipment and all the trucks and all the boats that were being sold to Europe against him. So like it was in our best well, interest about, even before that. He, he started building his army in like the late third like 37 38. The first thing he did, he was not supposed to have 
the military. It was supposed and to have the tanks. First thing tanks he did, like he's like, you know what? I'm going to buy a whole bunch. I'm going to build a whole bunch. What are you guys going to do? Exactly. Guys, exactly. guys, here's the danger of uh, passing laws with good intentions. Um, mm. So in 2007, 2006, when Obama was president, if he tried to regulate Twitter the way Trump just did, it would have never happened. He would have said, First Amendment rights. Twitter is a private company. They have a right to post. They, w- they have a right to regulate content however they want because it's a private company. Mm. It's a private platform. Trump would ne- or Obama never would have got away with it. But Trump created a na- created a narrative and a story that uh, which is actually partly true that conservatives are being shunned and ostracized on social media. There's no doubt about that, and the algorithms might have a, uh, something to do with that. Um, Trump really harped on that and complained on Twitter. On he threatened social media platforms several times. Just the threat in and of itself to use government force to shut down speech. That will the, now that Trump might not really destroy free speech, but the next president that's liberal that uh, mm-hmm. really wants to do something will now have the precedent set by Trump to go in and say, "Hey, we want to do this to Twitter now. We want to do this." So it, it's not always so out in the open how uh, dangerous something like that is, but w- that's why principle is so important. Yeah, the argument to that I was good is bringing that back around. The there. argument to that is. Twitter has now become almost like a public utility in a public forum. And that because it's free for everyone to use, it has a responsibility not to censor anybody in its raw form. I think Obviously, it's up to the people, though. I really think I agree with you, but, like, my idealism side versus my realistic side, my idealism side is, like, we as people need to cut the shit and stop giving so much power to Twitter it's not the government's job or the president's job or anybody to come in and be like, you know what, Twitter, you're not playing by the rules. It's the president's job to come out and be like, hey, look, we need to acknowledge a situation here that's going on at Twitter. We, you know, we're acknowledging that the situation is that there's information that's being misconstrued or manipulated or whatever. There's nothing we can do about it because they're a free enterprise following the rules. Nothing we can do about it. But it's up to you guys to take into consideration when you're on Twitter what's going on here. Just like it's up to you. Like, hey, you go down a dangerous street, be aware. Yeah, but I don't need to go down that dangerous street sometimes to do my job. Some people's jobs and careers are built over Twitter because of the forum that it was open and free, and that they could. But it wasn't around when the Constitution was in. But as long as well, that's the whole point that I have. That I've been saying that as social media becomes stronger, I think it's in in itself inadvertently starts to collapse the idea of the democracy, the democratic idea of having a free country, Mm. because all of our information is now through Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, right? It's really hard to find non-biased news. There are some non-biased, like Reuters, the BBC. Like, there's some really good agencies out there that you can that you can really find good good uh, journalism from. But then the majority of them are are overly paid by either a special interest group or they're they're so Twitter in it in itself becomes a place where it should be an open forum. It should be free speech because. But I understand that the corporate side of that. Right, so the corporate side of that is it's their company; they can choose to do whatever they want. But then you start to get into the debate of they would like the cake maker that wouldn't want to make the cake for the abortion because he was religious, yeah. right? And then and then the government telling him he can't make that cake. There's no difference between that philosophy of that and then them telling Twitter they can't do that. 
Which yeah, but if right. the American people right. wanted a more honest platform, free enterprise would kick in, and somebody would f- some so many people, and you're and you're seeing that already. Um, you don't think like Tumblr, to- Tumblr stopped showing pornography on their website mm, like a year ago or so, maybe two years Very ago. Very disappointing. And this is what we're talking about with the moral bankruptcy in society. Seriously, <laughs> if we had more porn, we wouldn't have all these problems. Did you hear about the George Floyd porn that Pornhub took down in two days? No. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. We, I was knew that was going to come up the second. They, I, someone found him in a porn. I don't know if it was real or not real. It was real. It was real. Pornhub, Pornhub had it for, someone posted, uploaded it. Pornhub didn't realize for two days it was up. And then they took it down. Yeah. It's like George. Yeah. It's like him. Like, they're like, oh, what are we gonna? it's like, one of me. everybody's seen a porn. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm saying but that, that yeah, but everybody like, has a porn of themselves somewhere. Yeah, if you don't, you <laughs> go back to college. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, the the like our our economy and everything is set up in a way that like if Twitter wasn't doing what the world wanted them to do in our country, because what you're experiencing on Twitter, in my opinion, taking a step back, is probably only ten percent or less of people's actual opinions. So when you go on there and you're like, oh my God, Twitter's a dumpster fire. Democracy is over. This, that, or the other thing. Like it has some governing weight and some weight in public opinion. But I could argue that if you left it unchecked, eventually Twitter would just be like just a tabloid. Like, you know, when you're checking out at CVS, you're like, "Uh, oh, they found Princess Diana cheated on her husband. 25 years ago. Where'd they get that evidence? It's like complete. now she's dead. Yeah, it's just complete bullshit. So, like, I think that people do a better job being like Twitter's complete bullshit. It's just that we are so inundated in our spheres that we think it's much worse than it is. Because Mm -hmm. if it really was that bad, somebody else would come up and be like, hey, I got this over here. I think you're right. And I think, sorry. They're talking about that. I think, honestly, the biggest the biggest amount of ostracism and the biggest uh, gap is not caused by the people who are monitoring Twitter. I think that that's just being created by people in general. Like if I was to post something about that was critical of black lives matter um, or something controversial like that, if I was to do that on Facebook right now, my post wouldn't be blocked, but my community would hate me. You don't know that's necessarily true. What that I wouldn't be blocked? You you may not be blocked, but they may not push it out to all your I friends. I think they honestly no. But what I'm I saying, mean, but happens. what I'm saying is, I feel more pressure personally from uh, from the people in my network than I more so than I do from Twitter or Facebook. I think from the f- from the I people think, you don't honestly. Actually know. Most people like like you said. I think most people are happy with the product that they have in social media. It the product itself, you yeah. know. Obviously, I can't stand people's well, opinions or anything. But I find myself using Facebook hardly ever. I mean, with True. the core, the core, the core when he rolled into town, I was on Facebook a little bit for like two weeks, that I I, more than I, I should have been. Facebook. But I identified it, and like the only reason you and I go on Facebook now is to go to the business page to like do stuff on there or respond the, uh, to people. The rest of it, we don't use. But like, how many years ago was Facebook the thing? Yeah, and now it's always like always be a thing. Yeah, it would always be a thing, but it's not, it's not the thing anymore. Yeah, the, well, it is the thing for a very huge demographic of people that didn't jump to other. Social I think media it's shrinking platforms, though. and the, and the, and it is shrinking, but the one that's been around for a long time is Twitter. 
I thought you were going to say MySpace. No, I mean, I hate Facebook almost as much as I hate LinkedIn, right? (laughs) I know LinkedIn has a very good, a very good purpose. I want to know why you have a problem with LinkedIn. Probably because I don't pay for the premium. So every time I jump on, I got to answer 17 questions if I invited these people to connect to. And then by the time I have time to get into my LinkedIn, I don't have time. It's like, well, I just wasted 10 minutes clicking through their questions. If you pay for the premium, that shit goes away. But, but Facebook's the same way. It's like you go to your notifications on Facebook, you have 45 of them because you haven't been there. But everybody and their mother's like posting, and then someone got in an argument. And if you missed the argument, like mine are always like, there. Karen uploaded a patio set to Facebook Marketplace. Like, I'm like, why am I being notified of this yeah, you shit? Got bad, like, you got bad back settings. in the day, notifications used to be like, Oh, so-and-so commented on your thing or so-and-so reached out. And now it's like I'm getting notified when people, like, do other things with other, like, I'm like, I haven't talked to these people since nine. And if you get on, And if you get on Instagram, like most of us, unless you follow 10 people, you're never getting through the pictures, right? You're just, like, giving up on that. And you can only watch stories of people that you watch stories about, right? So if you go back and, and you, should, you should all try this, if you're listening, go type in a friend that was a good friend or from a long time ago, man, I haven't really seen them on social media lately. I promise you, majority of the time you go f- search that friend, there are post after post that you just have not seen. And so when you're saying that you can post on Facebook and maybe, you know, they're not going to censor it, they do control an algorithm to try to connect I don't understand it fully because it keeps changing. So the algorithm is set up to connect you based. Well, I won't go into like the whole thing, but the fundamentals of it, it's aggregated in like eight levels or seven levels where it's like how much interaction you have with other people's actual pages. So like how much time you go to someone's actual page, like how much interaction you have with that individual person in common things. And then like the more people you are connecting with, the algorithm is set up to like encourage you to connect with those people more. So like if you, what inadvertently happened, I don't think anybody intentionally did this because like you're, you're probably on like a serial killer list. Like the intention was to create more traffic between people what they didn't anticipate was the more traffic was people disagreeing with one another in that sense. So I don't think na- I don't think like you and I in this room we're identifying that Facebook and Instagram and like the comment sections aren't necessarily the best place to have a conversation because it's a com it's like it's text. But let me l- let me put one more I guess kink into the argument. Mm of why I said the statement. I'm going to back this up. Why I said the statement is I don't know if democracy is ready for for the social media that it's morphed into. And here's what I'll say. Because it's the extreme example of when the when the when the uh the delegate left their community back in the late 1700s, 1800s all the way through 19 whatever 30. They left with a set of very disciplined values that were thought out of in their community we hope so we hope so i would assume that they did if you go back and read a lot of papers and and you know they're very well versed when they weren't getting wasted with the hookers and all that because that's they did a true lot of that well too. they had a lot of traveling to do. to do as well you had a lot of traveling you had, had to, to let get there. loose you had to we let had loose va- we had values you had to hang out in a wagon what they got there and then they couldn't get news back home right but now senator jumps on plane senators on what is the senator doing on the plane 
Hopefully he's reading, he's researching, but probably he's on social media like the rest of us. Right? And again, this is theory. The, the, then their opinion could possibly change, and now they're all talking about a national opinion. right? Whereas before, the opinions were all localized that they would have to come together to create policies and legislation that helped particular communities and pick particular things in general. Yeah. Now everyone's so focused on a national message. Right. The individual yeah. is getting lost. The region yeah. is getting lost. And it's really hard, even on the state level. You see it in Pennsylvania today. Two, yesterday or two days ago, they passed a bill that got rid of all of Tom Wolf's executive orders up to a certain point for the for the coronavirus. Today, he fires back saying they don't have the authority to do that. But all the state senators are now focused on a statewide issue rather than their community mm -hmm. issues. And this may only happen during mm -hmm. extreme pandemics or extreme, you know, uh, riots, protests, race war, whatever we got going on. But what I'm saying is I don't think that the founding fathers, although they predicted a lot of things, could predict instantaneous messaging and instantaneous news cycles that could influence someone by the time they're working through a bill, they could be influenced to change their mind. And then that is now being controlled by outside people, bad actors, mm -hmm. money. And so the question is, how do you figure out how to separate those bad actors and influences on people's lives so that they don't go about making bad decisions that they didn't know they were making because they've been controlled from social media? Well, I think what, what you're really touching on is a really big problem, and that's groupthink. It's uh, a large group of people adopting an irrational policy because dissenting voices are not heard. And when there were local, when there were local governments that were autonomous, and that they were able to come together, Congress, and debate those ideas together, it was individual communities thinking for themselves. It was oftentimes individuals thinking for themselves. Um, and you know what? A great example of of how far we've come from that is COVID. Um, the entire world enacted China's policies as a result of what happened, like locking down lockdowns, like which have never been done on such a large scale before. Um, Just because China did it. Right. Or and supposedly China, did it. Right. And well, there's actually a lot of, a lot of information coming out now that through satellite imaging, that this was a problem way earlier yeah, in China. than There's the, satellite China. images that show migrations all the way into last summer that are questionable. Yeah. They're, they're showing a lockdown in like sometime in mid October around the Wuhan plant that it was like sectioned off and that no car traffic, cell phone traffic, any traffic went into this massive quarantine zone around it. But again, but do you know what, how reliable is the source that came out with that? The Harvard study saying that the satellite imaging shows that they were doing massive lockdowns back in November. How the question is, how do you trust all that info coming out? Cause someone has an agenda. We'll go backwards in this cause we have to, because nobody, this is one of those things that like came out and nobody has gone back to correct. The whole reason COVID-19 is, was in China in the first place. Fauci and all of them were working on it domestically in the United States. And then policies were instituted, which required them to take the virus out of the United States to work on it. 
because it was no longer permissible dom domestically. And I could be wrong, but I think that's 2009. That's Obama-era policies, I'm pretty different, sure. It could be a different strand of yeah. coronavirus. I don't it, think it was that. It wasn't All that right, then I'm, then I'm fucking yeah, wrong. See, Twitter. Also, <laughs> when people test positive coronavirus, you're not sure if it's COVID-19 or the common cold. And I think that was a problem with a lot of the testing, is it couldn't distinguish between the two, and I'm not sure that it can now. You have such anecdotal reports of people who are pregnant, which they do test every pregnant person. They're like, oh, yeah, you got coronavirus. And they're like, huh? What do you mean I had coronavirus? Right? Going, going back to your original point is like, what do you do to manage the information flow? And my and this is this is the difference between Democrats and Republicans, in my opinion, is I say you do nothing. I say you do nothing. Because every time you do something you get an equal something else back. Yeah. And what what you see with like the Democrats, not in every city, but there are some cities where policy was instituted to benefit either like minorities or underprivileged or lower income, whatever the demographic is, financial, like those policies have reactions that nobody is anticipating and I really think that, like, the way we are already set up, even though it wasn't dictated in our Constitution, we are a free market economy. And if we start going implementing policies on information companies, where does the policy implementation start and stop? I think that the states should be as powerful as they seem right now. Yeah. I think that people need to get involved with their local politics, state, city, municipal if you don't know the phone number to the person you are supposed to call to complain about something about and when i say complain i don't know I mean, andrew's phone number no but like yeah, yeah. god damn yeah <laughs> i don't want to hear it that's a good joke <laughs> i see what you did there so oh, you're talking about that andrew yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i actually might remember your phone number but i don't know so like you have all these people that are very upset about things and they're on Facebook talking about how upset they are about it. But nobody is calling the person or asking the person that can actually do anything about it to do something about it. Yeah. Until, but like you do, one thing I do, I do see happening since um, for the George Floyd situation is people are posting up like, hey, these are the numbers you can call to demand these police officers get charged for so-and-so's death. Call this council member in Minneapolis and demand this. It's like, why am I calling the person in Minneapolis for that city's problems and saying, I want this person to be brought to justice? Like, all these people are now actively doing something that I wanted them to do for so long, but now they're in the habit of doing it. So like, okay, that is a messy situation. But now people understand that, oh, I can get all my friends together and call this dude who we put in office and demand him to do something. Whereas before it was like, oh, we're all really upset about this. But like, who do I talk to? Oh, nobody's going to do anything. But I personally know city of Philadelphia politicians state politicians, local politicians. 
I have a lot of these people's cell phone numbers from our interactions, not necessarily around politics, but I've like networked. These people are very accessible. Trump is not accessible. So if you're mad at him or something he's doing, you can share his tweets and, and, and make memes and hate him all you want or talk about how bad he is all you want. But like, if you aren't part of like getting your verse voice heard locally in your local economy or government, those people have the ability to go to Trump and be like, Hey, the people in Eastern PA, they are pissed, bro. We need to do something about this. And then he's like, Oh, okay. But everybody thinks because you're now on social media and Trump has a Twitter, like, Oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to sound off and tell everybody how mad I am. But very few people, are probably doing that active step where they take, hey, I'm upset about this thing. I'm going to connect. I'm upset to this is where I feel as an individual things need to change, and I'm going to voice that to someone who actually, who we've elected to make those changes. Yeah. Does that happen in your opinion? Yeah. I, I guess the question is, are the problems in your life Caused by the government, my answer would be 99% of them are no. The problems in your life are caused by you. And that you have to self-reflect and be like, dude, you know what? Turn the news off and let's hit it. Let's hit it, son. Let's let's get this shit done. Let's plant some tomatoes. Let's plant some tomatoes. Let's get going. Let's stop blaming people. And let's just be an individual. And if you just turned off the fucking news, you would have no idea the coronavirus happened. Because, no, I didn't see any I didn't see any news alerts go out, like, on the cell phones, the emergency broadcast systems. If you literally had, like, you know, if you were, like, that farmer that was self-sustaining and you had to go to, you had to go to uh, town every two months, dude, you're probably like, whoa, what happened? Right. But that's the thing. If you just shut it down and be responsible for it, you're responsible for in individualism and being hold yourself accountable and your morals and your ethics. That's all that people need to do. That's it. Well, just, just be a good person and get your shit done. I agree with you because I think that's ultimately true. Um, but I think there are two things that complicate that one. I do think COVID was the way we the government has responded to this is atrocious, and there's millions of people out of work right now because of the government, only because of the government. And I think that they're responsible for a lot of the deaths because 43 percent of the deaths in this country occurred in nursing homes, and in four states, it was required by law for nursing homes to take COVID patients. New York. So you know PA. it's gonna it's gonna take a little New Jersey. It's gonna take California. It's gonna take a little bit for them to figure out which deaths are attributable to those government actions. But I I guarantee it's a lot. So there's that. And then there's also the fact that in uh, a lot of communities, especially the black community, they are raised. I made this point earlier to to believe and with some with good reason that the world is against them. That the laws that people are racist against them. This is their reality in their heads. So for you to say individualism is the answer to them, you just got to get out of this on your own. Like, yeah, that could, there is a lot of truth in that, but they're not going to hear it. And that's, that's why it's so difficult. That's why this problem is so difficult because uh, they're, they're coming from an entirely different standpoint. And that's why we have, we really have to work together. We have to work together. Everyone has to acknowledge that there's different realities for everybody. I think I, I probably, I, I definitely find myself trying to connect with people on, f- failed on social media. Like, I want to talk to other people to understand their realities even more so now. Because person, you, see, yeah. you see a lot of, like, 
very, very violent or very volatile or very combat. Like you see, like I'll see someone make a comment and that comment will rub me in such a way that I'm like, I, I want to know if you're serious or if you're just an idiot. And then two, if you're serious, I want to know what situation or upbringing or what is your, what is your standpoint on this matter that led you to believe this thing? of like such a like the fuck the police one was one like it's just like i want to know more as to like how you got there because i don't understand and uh, like i don't know if it's because a lot of people aren't coming from like a good place when they ask those questions but i got my life threatened last week because i truthfully wanted to understand what 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 happened to you or what is your point of view on this world that is so terrible that would lead you to make the, and like I won't repeat the individual's comment but cuz it was just like I was like it was like a comparison to the holocaust and like this and I was like whoa 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 like not this I want to understand your understanding of the holocaust and your understanding of the world today and like see how you're making this comment work because like you know it's, Twitter could it's do? like other people are reading this and they don't have their own thoughts. So like it's like what I'm like what oh, I don't know. I guess I'm just speechless. What if they just made people post their real names on social media? Do you think that would take care of half of it? I mean, my name's on social it media. It would definitely help Twitter. It would help Twitter Although a lot. I have to say I really enjoy trolling Confederate sympathizers on Twitter. It's kind of like Confederate sympathizers. I watched. Uh, what do you mean, Confederate sympathizers? So I think I think the the, the Confederate flag is important because it's representative of like a historical. Like, it's what Im- about the Nazi flag? Well, like that's also important. It's also like if you got rid of every Nazi flag on the world, like how would you teach? Like you wouldn't have something to point at and be like, "That's bad." That's factually true. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying like, hey, when you see you know. Big Dick Larry and his diesel pickup with a Confederate flag in his back window. Probably not the probably not the best representation to what it's. I'm for. like that's not that's not what I understand to be very positive with it. Like I was like I don't I don't I, I never quite understood that connection. Does but I w- wait <clears throat> connection. Mm. Does the X on the Confederate fla- flag mean for the Tenth Amendment? <laughs> no. It, no, but and it but wasn't the, that thought out. Okay, because the Tenth Amendment would say that any right not given to the federal government is inherently given to the states, which is part of the backing of that flag and what it stands for: states' rights. State, you don't th- the you states' don't th- rights to own slaves. Well, that was one of the things. Well, correct. Well, that was what it one. Was. Yeah, that's what it was. Well, mm. so you think mm. you think that the 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 Civil War was purely fought over slavery? I think it was because the South wanted to continue to own slaves. I've read North, North I've read no. a decent amount of history books on the Civil War. I would say the Civil War is probably the war that I know the most about. And not disagreeing with the slave comment. They did want to own slaves because that was largely how they controlled like their workforce. If you took away their workforce, that was going to disable them. But the larger idea of the Civil War from my takeaways was that the North didn't have the resources, slaves included, that the South had. They, the, a lot of the aggregate 
material in terms of like the farming the raw it, material the, the textile yeah, the, the te- like that. a lot of that stuff was fabricated in the south thought about in the north and that like that was th- that was you know their foolish planning to allow like the control epicenter but you had new york and the ports up north that were capable of distributing the products and had the relationships already previously in place with like the european companies so I don't necessarily always agree with people when like they say the Civil War was all about slavery. I really think it was rich guys suppressing other rich guys. And the North was why? like why? For power. They didn't have power. What do you mean? What do you m- You don't think anybody anybody operating in the North like it it was kind of like a it was like a it was like a general contractor subcontractor model. Well, you said initially states' rights, but which rights are you talking about in particular? Well, like, it wasn't necessarily the rights that they were in in conflict with. It was the ability to legislate taxation on their raw materials, their raw materials, and what they were doing in the South and the Southern influencers said, "Why are you taking so much from us? We're in the South." You're so in the you're north. Saying, so you you're saying the south wanted to tax. They wanted a bigger cut. They wanted well because right now your states aren't allowed to tax goods on each other. That's unconstitutional. So you're saying no. I'm not saying it was necessarily taxation. So like say say I'm building houses, right? I'm building houses in Georgia. My offices are in New York City. No one from my company works in Georgia. Mm-hmm. I use subsidiary enterprises all over Georgia. I have my plumber. I have my electrician. And I have all these people, but I have all the clients. If somebody wants to buy a house in Georgia, they got to come to me in New York. Mm-hmm. Why? Like if I am actively doing things to prevent those people in Georgia from unionizing to get more power so that they can have what they feel is their a better clients. life, their own clients, or right? I want to get my own clients. I want to cut out, the northern broker to Europe. I want to keep more money in my pocket. That's what the Civil War was about. The benefit of that was that ultimately President Lincoln was like, okay, South, you want to do that shit? We're going to f- we're gonna do the Emancipation Proclamation. We're going to get rid of your entire labor force by making slavery illegal now. Good luck running... Good luck running your plantations and having a successful war without labor. That's like, I mean, you're, you're, everybody's entitled to their opinion. And I, I'm not by any way condoning slavery so or saying they... I support that. It was it, it, the ending of the Civil War, the Civil, to say that President Lincoln did that to, because he was in, in favor of civil rights is, a historical fallacy. Like President Lincoln did a very positive, good thing for people and humanity, but the intention was purely militarily to debase the South. Why did the South secede from the Union? Because they they wanted a bigger piece of the pie without the the they didn't feel like the North so, should have any opinion or say in what they were doing or manufacturing. I see. So. So you're looking at it from an economic perspective. That's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm not like I'm just 
talking about history. I'm right. not like I'm not like that's not the the analysis. Get, it's 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 not something that's like to be. It's a very it's an uncomfortable conversation for people because nobody wants to talk about slavery. I don't mind the. I guess that's the whole. But there's a lot the of history whole, the, there that's whole, misunderstood. That's like the whole point of kind of what we're talking about. Everyone has a different perspective of even history and how they perceived and read and watched. And those, again, you come back to individual opinions. You may all be, you may literally be reading the same textbook and because of your past and your perspective, you have a completely different version of history. Yeah. Right? That's why, that's why it's in, that's why I nerd out on history so much Yeah, because like, you can't read one person's account or one set of diaries or letters home during the civil, like you can't read one recollection. You have to get everybody's point of view. And in order to do that, you have to just like nerd out into it. And so like the perspective you're talking about the, the, you know, the, the F the police movement or whatever it is, people don't have the perspective of the police family that waits up and like the only noise that's comforting is the Velcro of when they take off their bulletproof vest when they come home. Yeah, but there's like there's, there's also going to be less of that now because Paramount just canceled the show Cops. Live PD just got canceled. But like the families, did you know, the did, families of those police officers, one month ago, everyone was was so proud of the police force and the fire department and the first responders, the EMS and the doctors. Right? It was like a universal understanding that right they're proud they, you know when the lockdowns happened you saw someone responding to it everyone was proud of it i guess we thought that or i guess we thought that but in a flip of 30 days that person's now job even firefighters jobs are looked at in some cultures societies based on what whatever the target media has pushed into everyone's te- television set has completely changed their thing, and you got to think: well, what's that toll taken on those first responders' families? What happens? It's not. It's it's very dramatic. It's you know. I'll give you even. A, I'll give you even a crazier flip, that's similar. Three weeks ago, what were we calling? What was the media calling the protesters who were protesting against the stay-at-home laws? Selfish, ignorant. Uh, yeah. Almost. Some were saying they were criminally. They were criminals. Yeah. Yeah. For for going out and uh, exercise their were, right to protest, they were protesting their right to support themselves, which there's nothing more important than that in this country. Yeah. So, but the media the media said they were they were protesting haircuts and and they the media called them you know redneck Trump supporters who have a great life and it's easy for them. Three weeks later, we're calling the protesters heroes, and we're calling them you know and. They do have a. I do think there's a lot of merit to the, what the protesters are doing. But my point is, is that the narrative flips so quick on the same action, and it's like, hold on a second. And the whole country's like in one big narrative too, or yeah, it's like it's nobody, wild, could, nobody it's was allowed wild. to go to their f- family's funerals. There was a couple it's of wild. funerals that I would have normally, that just like didn't happen, yeah. and now we have like one big funeral that everybody is allowed to go to. So like, are we allowed to go to funerals now? I mean, that that would be the most, and I don't know the answer to that. We're, they had funerals in four or five states, right? They had one in Texas. They had one in Minneapolis. I think they just had one in his hometown, wherever he grew up, in Jersey maybe. Yeah, but think about all like, like the people. You're right. Like, think about the thousands of people that went to that. 
that that was that was okay, but you couldn't go to you couldn't go sit with your dying mother, dude, or you couldn't like that. This that really thing, uh, it's it, it's really a messy situation, and I think it's important because it's very easy because like we almost got caught up in it right then. It's very easy to like get upset, and then like you want someone to get mad at, but yeah. like, is there anyone like the government over exercised? their powers in the quarantine for sure i do no i i do agree well, there's nobody that's disagreeing in I, this room about that no but like there are like it, there are unfortunately casualties in living life do you guys know anything about the law that the pa governor used to justify the stay-at-home order no, no but i have a feeling that you do i have a little bit of knowledge on it i'm um, actually it was it's a law that says the, the governor during emergency crisis has the time to or has the power to regulate uh, movement of people in and out of the city. And what that's meant, it was meant for like extreme weather crisis or uh, extreme, you know, like a hurricane or a flood or something like that. And, right. it, and it was for like something that was very specific and and had a very, very finite amount of time to it, you know. He's using that to say that we are not allowed to go outside of our homes for four months. It's never been done before. It's definitely unconstitutional in the state. Would what, you no recommend doubt. in in voting what like Governor Wolf like is he? He's some, a criminal. Yeah, in my opinion, mm. for forcing nursing homes to take COVID patients, that's criminal negligence, and. For forcing people in their homes, you can't make that criminal because he has the immunity to do that as governor. But um, it's is, is there it's a criminal is there a criminal case against either like the governor of New York or Newsom or Wolf, um, in relationship to the policies surrounding like people returning to nursing homes? No, because nobody in politics is going to do a, anything. either wants to do it or b has the power to do it. You have to get this the, the the district attorney or the state prosecutors to uh, get on board with that, and they're all they're all in on it, you know. Mm. This is messy. It. This is gonna get real messy till November. Yeah, I and think I'll, I definitely think we need to have him on like what do you a think bunch more be next? time a bunch more Someone times before the. Guess. Are we getting aliens next? Are we getting what are we getting a famine? I'm calling earthquakes in California mid July. Well, um, <laughs> Some mother nature's like. So what you, you 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 predicted cities burning if Trump gets into office. I'm predicting earthquakes in California, like the, the common way, the classic way. For I, I predict COVID too. No, he didn't. Well, there will be a second COVID wave in September. And it, the question is, yeah, I'm gonna go. Out, yeah, I don't know. Probably maybe time to censor. I don't, but like, if there's a second COVID wave, how many people are going to listen? Well, it's like the boy that cried wolf now. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's everybody got so serious about this situation without the amount of information. I mean, you and I have talked about this all the time. It's like sometimes I'm just like sometimes I'm like I don't know. There's not enough information here for me to get upset or not. I don't know. We'll wait. And people like a lot of times will look at me and be like, "You kidding?" We know this. And I'm like, are you sure? But do we? Yeah. And like, I think that like, I'm, would you say that like the way I do that is rare? Because I wish more people would do it that way. 
You mean use critical thinking? Is that what it's called? Yeah. The the thing with the critical thinking on that particular issue is if one of us would have had a family member die and get sick and die, I think that would change all of our critical thinking. But because we're a little separated from the issue. I would like to think that but I mean, in relationship to the COVID-19, yeah. even if like my mom or somebody old, like I still am a fairly objective person and would have like, I think my mom who's seven years older than my dad, like my dad, a, a little overweight has asthma, definitely like doesn't exercise. My mom doesn't exercise. But like if I had to bet on either one of them being at higher risk, I'd say my dad, cause he's got asthma and he doesn't exercise. But yeah. like my mom, doesn't have any pre-existing yeah. conditions. I mean, so it's like you have to like look at that and be like, my mom, I was like, all right. I was getting mad at her because she was still going to the restaurant. And like, she's like, well, I'm not seeing anybody. I'm like, yeah, but you're picking up all the papers. I was upset. I guess the only. But like with my dad, I was like, dude, totally get it. Stay inside. Like, don't be br- like, the- or my grandparents, they locked their facility down. And I was like, I agree with that. I guess the only, the thing I, I, w- I was trying to get is. The only thing we know is what's in front of our own eyes that we is in our own sphere and is in our own control. Everything else. But you don't even know that. You don't you, like you have to like have like a level of like dissemination yes. between yes. what I see and what I know. Correct. And what people say and what they mean and all that. But the most control you can have is right in front of your eyes. Right. Mm-hmm. The The other thing of all the other media that's pushed out now, like it's very the news you really have to look at that objectively and i would agree that you've done that and taught other people how to do that including myself more stringent practices to disseminate false info go look up the reporter what other articles have they written are they hired by somebody else what was their past lives like really research who's writing what and if they're just copying and pasting from somebody else or, or whatever it is, but... I would say the quick... We'll time, just give them a couple tools yeah. right off the bat. Free tools from Andrew. This is the cool Andrew. Not Andrew's the, not, tool, not the lawyer Andrew. Tool, toolbox. When, you, when someone sends you an article or you see that clickbait or that first thing, the first thing right off the bat, I click on it, I scroll right to the bottom of the article. I want to know if you cited anybody. If you're going to make claims in this article... And you're credible, you are going to reference who said what yeah. or where you got the information from. I cannot tell you how many articles are online right now that you can click on and there's like the comments section. Like no is, author. Is like the King James Bible, but there's no author listed or there's an author that you can't find on Twitter or social media or any sort of like they what college they went to. You can't find them. Yeah. Or there's no references. It's like who writes a factual piece on things and doesn't cite it? We were all taught. Everybody listening here knows the brutal situation of citing your sources in college oh, or in that. high school. And before the internet, you had to do that shit manually. I and still luck have to do that for work. Yeah, you you're probably you a citation do. machine. You, yeah. So like definitely have to having the ability to go to an article and be like, okay, these people are taking what they say so seriously that they can credit it or give some like there's a there's a way to track it. 
if there's no way to track it, I immediately am just like, this is complete bullshit trying to get me upset. There's no way to vet any of this information. I'm not even going to try next article. So how do we get the rest of the country to think that way? We'll start right by actually on this podcast. Actually start by reading the articles you post. Don't repost something you haven't actually looked at. Because I can't tell you how many times I've clicked on an article and been like, I don't know. It Had they read this? They would have seen that this article actually argues against their point. And it's like kind of, it's kind of funny in a way. But yeah. like, then the second thing I would say is make sure what you're reading, you can like follow it through the sources. Like, okay, they reference, you know, the, this encyclopedia, they reference this case law and there's a link to like the case law. You can go read it. Like if there's a statement from someone that's a written statement, there's a reference to like you can go read what that person said. Like there's more forthright with information. Is that, was that proper? This segment was brought to you by Andrew's toolbox. (laughs) Yeah. We have a sponsor now. Watch out. Andrew's toolbox. We're going to get sued by anchor for making a second sponsor. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to need a good lawyer. You know one. Yeah. Uh, I'll look into it. (laughs) Yeah. So I definitely, um, I think we're going to, set Andrew free into the world to go go do his lawyering. Yeah, so we appreciate you guys joining us today on this exciting conversation that we had and, and any and anything you any anything impact like is there anything you would say to like, you know, implement change in the world? I'm just one person. You guys put too much pressure on me. <laughs> uh I mean, I am always going to uh personally advocate for freedom for the individual. Um, responsibility for the individual. Um, I think the the best way that we can go about changing the world is to make sure that ourselves are doing a good job and we're doing what we can. That's that's what I think. It's nothing nothing special or no secret, nothing like that. So it's safe to say, be the change you want to see. And also in the world. understand that you might be right in what you're saying, but you have to be careful about the way you approach it to other people. So. In this issue with the black community, you know, if you're conservative or if you're if you're not understanding where the protesters are coming from, you have to make sure that you at least understand it before you can disagree with it. And you have to understand they're not they're not crazy people. Some of them are, but most of them are not. Ninety eight percent, ninety nine percent of these people all are smart. There's a lot of pain there, though. Yeah, we have to reach out. Both sides need to talk to each other. That's what I think. There you have it. Damn, Andrew. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. So it's Andrew Napoli. Lawyer, musician, um, thanks, reason, re- reasonable human being. There it is. That's it. Dude. I like we're, that. We're definitely Put that on my gravestone. <laughs> he died a reasonable man. Thanks for coming on. This was the After Five podcast. If you want to find Andrew, you're going to have to try hard. We'll have him on again. Thank you for listening and check your sources.